I wanted to talk about cultivating the heart practices. And it's something that's been coming up a lot. It's been an overriding theme for me over the last several weeks. This idea of tenderness and softness and kindness and compassion and joy is important because of what we're what we're all experiencing. Um, we all have our individual experiences, but we're inside of this big, uh, this 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 pandemic, this staying at home, this sh- total shift in how we move through our daily lives, and it has a has a really big impact. And I think one of the most important things in that is to be gentle and to be kind to ourselves, to be soft, to uh, really pay attention to um, uh, how we talk to ourselves, how we set ourselves up, and to let go of any harshness, any criticism, any any uh, sense of needing to achieve. I saw a bunch of memes at the beginning of this a, a few weeks ago when it was like, oh, now you're going to get all that stuff done. And if you don't get, you know, if you don't have all your shit done by the time we're out, then you're just a loser. I mean, and that sets up this false idea that we're supposed to do something other than, you know, experience something that we've never experienced before. There's a lot of emotions that may be really close to the surface. I know that's been my experience that there's stuff there that has to be attended to and attended to kindly and gently. The last thing we need to do is be harsh and critical with our emotions. They're there. Why would be why would be we be anything other than kind? But we can be because that's kind of how uh, we've been conditioned in a lot of ways to judging how we uh, experience things, judging our feelings. Um, Really where I think the place to get to is a place of balance, a place of equanimity. So we are not knocked over by what I talked about a couple of weeks ago, the teaching of the eight worldly winds, praise and blame and gain and loss and pleasure and pain, the stuff that just happens as uh, happens to human beings, just being alive on this planet. We all experience these things and to develop uh, mechanisms to hold that in balance and not be overwhelmed by it, which can so often happen when we don't pay attention. And this takes patience and it takes effort. It's not something that we go put it on my to-do list and I'll get I'll get to it. I'll I'll have that done by lunchtime, or I'm a loser. Um, it it takes a while and it takes constant effort and it takes um, a willingness to, as we as as we do in meditation practice, a willingness to keep coming back to what's happening right now what's my experience in this moment what what is present here not the 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 mind going a hundred thousand miles an hour it's not easy it's not easy um as i'm sure most of you have experienced this i'm sure a lot of you experience the anybody in here experience that um that that crazy mind that monkey mind that um that mile a minute mind, yeah, it's it's there, it's there, it's gonna be there. Of course, why? You know, that's always that's one of my responses when people ask me, should I be feeling this? Should, 
And, and it's like, why wouldn't you be feeling what you're feeling? It makes perfect sense to have these emotions, to have these, these thoughts, to have the mind take off in these different directions. So it's that's why I feel it's really important to bring kindness and compassion in, and that needs to be cultivated because we don't necessarily come by it when we're faced with, with situations that we're, we're not used to facing. A lot of times that fear comes up. It's, it's built in, that fight, fight, or freeze um, reaction is built in. So to make the effort to soften, to be kind is incredibly important. Um, I, I wrote, I, I was going through some notes I have, and I found this one line that said, kindness opens the heart. You know, it opens the heart. It opens us up and gives us some spaciousness. We have room to breathe when we cultivate the heart, when we, when we attend, when we tend to the heart and when we we bring kindness and compassion to it whereas when we're clinging on to um, ideas of what things are going to be or what things might be or what things used to be you know when we can't let go when we're attached we get into this place of constriction and closing in and fear I mean there's a big difference when we're able to be open and spacious and constricted and shut down um, it's really narrowing and um, can be somewhat um, suffocating and if we're not aware of it we think that's just the way the world is instead of recognizing that it's simply our reaction to the world and we do have an option to move in a different direction moving towards spaciousness and openness or moving towards attachment and constriction what happens with this is um, and it's taught in Buddhism that um, this loving, kind, open-heartedness is more of our natural nature. In Mahayana traditions, different traditions of Buddhism, it's taught that we have what's known as Buddha nature, which is this kind, loving, compassionate heart. And um, when all these constrictions are taken away, that's what's there. And that's also... Uh, not Buddha nature, but that's also an idea in Theravada earlier teachings that when you take away what are known as the hindrances, you have this kind, loving, compassionate, balanced, um, not just heart, but heart mind, this wise heart that that shows up um, appropriately in all in all situations. But these hindrances are in the way. And the, the teaching of the hindrances are things I think we can all relate to. They, there's, there's five hindrances because there's always a list. Um, and they are a pair of, the first pair is craving, wanting things to be pleasant all the time. Not that we necessarily sit down and say, I want this to be good, but just how we naturally respond, react. It's like, ah. Pleasant, we chase the pleasant, we push away the unpleasant. None of us sign up for the unpleasant, most of the time. I mean, but usually we don't. Although some people, there is, you know, there is a payback sometime when we get stuck in that for whatever reason. But generally we want to push away the unpleasant and cling to the, the pleasant. Um, that's, the, you know, and the problem is the, the, the difficulty arises because life is messy and there are unpleasant experiences that we have. 
It's the first noble truth. There is birth, which is difficult. There's death. There's loss. There's being separated from what we love. You know, there's losing what we have and being afraid of not of not getting what we want. There's all this stuff that's just part of the human condition. As I talked about, as I mentioned, the eight worldly winds, we have praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and pain. It happens just because we're human beings. But we we oftentimes, as I said, chase the pleasant. And when we get stuck on wanting it to be a certain way, wanting what we want, we suffer. We, in, we actually intensify the discomfort because um, we're unwilling to be with what is. We're unwilling to be with the pain. I listened to... Um, I listened to a, a, a podcast somebody recommended. Uh, Brene Brown, I guess, has a, a new podcast that started a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember the name of it. But somebody recommended I talk to, I listened to this one, and she was talking to the man who I can't remember his name either, but he was a protege of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote the, you know, she wrote a tremendous amount of work, but she's most well known for her five stages of, of um, I think it's dying. And then she wrote another book with him, this man whose name escapes me, on the five stages of grief. And he just has a new book out about a sixth stage of finding meaning. And so they were talking about grief and they were talking about her, I guess her podcast, she started it after this this pandemic began and staying at home. So she talks about it in the, in the uh, context of what we're all going through. And he says, not being Buddhist, but he says the problem is people don't realize that there are these really uncomfortable experiences, these incredibly painful experiences in life. And people are not willing to be with them. It's not because you did anything wrong. It's just this happens. Life happens. Pandemics happen. It's not because you did X, Y, or Z, and to be able to hold that, you know, this is, life is messy. Life is messy, and how do you show up for that life? And when you're caught up in a denial of reality, you intensify the pain. You magnify it if you say, no, 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 then it doesn't do anything. So that's what gets in the way of this compassion, this kindness, this tenderness, this holding on to this idea of the way it's supposed to be. Instead, we're asked to let go and be with it, turn towards what's present. You know, we get stuck in these stories, these um, these ideas that we've gotten from our families, from uh, these, these, I saw somebody, oh, Ruth King was writing, and I liked the way she phrased it, these institutions of influence, family, law, politics, education, religious, they all paint the picture of what it's supposed to be like. And then we have the social constructions of ethnicity and race and class and gender and culture, which build some other boxes, and we're stuck in these boxes. And this teaching is about bust out of those boxes. That's just a box. And we have to identify where we're stuck in those boxes. What are the ideas that are that are trapping us, constricting us? 
So that's that's the first set of hindrances, this craving for pleasant and pushing away of unpleasant. And then the next pair is um, I think of as distractions from being with this restlessness and this dullness, this torpor. So when we're restless and we're busy, we're like, we don't give ourselves time to be with what's present. We're always on to the next thing. That's why I think meditation is so difficult for so many people because it asks you to sit down and be quiet and not experience or and experience what's present. That's why people, as soon as they sit down and they're like, "Ah, I can't. Because the mind has is not distracted. So this distraction, this restlessness, this gotta, 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 go, 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 do, 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 which is why this, this social um, distancing, this isolation is so difficult for so many people because it's not what they're used to doing. And our society gives us a gazillion things to distract ourselves with. Well, people can distract themselves even when they're by themselves, but that's where we get caught up in, you know, a um, busyness isn't it you know the addiction I was thinking this this we get addicted to distraction to do taking something to take us out of where we are and the flip side of that restlessness running is the dullness the torpor just this 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 delusion this you know ingesting things not necessarily just drugs and alcohol but other kinds of distractions social media um, shopping um, people are doing a lot of that. Although somebody I know said she likes to go into all these sites and just put tons of things on shopping carts and then just leave. She, which is, I guess, a fun activity. So, and then, yeah, so you can do that. Um, so you get, we get into all these things to take ourselves out of feeling. It's again, it's a hindrance to being present with what's right here, right now. And then the last one is doubt. There's that doubt that this is going to work, that anything's going to work, that we can that we can show up for this. Doubt can be um, derailing. We can get derailed from our practice because of doubt. And just recognizing that doubt is part of doubt is a hindrance. So these teachings ask us to name to recognize these hindrances and go, oh, not that we're bad or we need to fix anything, but again recognize. Oh, I'm, that's restlessness. You know, when you got to get up and go and do something. Oh, that's restlessness. Or this, this, um, sometimes you're caught in a, a thought of, of trying to fix yesterday, you know, because you're, you're averse to the outcome of what happened. Or you're lost in tomorrow, trying to plan out. Or doing what I've done for many years of my life, have conversations with people who are not in the room. I've spent a lot of hours making my point, you know, perfecting conversations I have never had. You know, it's, it's extraordinary. And what that is, when I see I'm doing that now, I go, oh, what's actually underneath that? Oh, it's my desire to be seen in a certain light oftentimes. I practice, you know, showing up in a way and saying things so that people will look at me and think a certain way about me. 
I'm trying to control. I'm, I'm attached to an idea. And that's a hindrance to feeling. Well, what, what's actually underneath that? Oh, there's a fear that they'll see me in a certain way that I won't, I don't think is, is, um, is good or beneficial and therefore maybe I won't get what I want. I want this thing so I have to make sure this happens and we get into manipulation. And so and get out of the place we're lost and come back to what's happening right here. Tending to what's underneath that. And this is where mindfulness comes in where we learn to still the mind and make space for what's underneath. Make space for what's there to come up. Insight, this insight practice we're doing is that path to dissolving the hindrances. And then when we begin to dissolve those hindrances, we they say that when you dissolve the hindrances, these heart practices, these this, the qualities of the heart, the Brahma Viharas are there. And they may be there, but some of us, because of the deep conditioning we've received, self-loathing, self-doubt, judgment, criticism, we need to cultivate these heart practices. They don't just show up spontaneously, although for many people they do. For another large segment, we need to cultivate them. You know, we have to learn to let go of self-loathing, learn, learn to let go of voices, learn to let go of judgment, fear, and let go of those things that get in the way. Do you have a person in your mind that calls you names? that judges you, that says things to you. It's very common and often it's just a background soundtrack, but we have to be willing to let that go and recognize that's not kind, that's not compassionate, that's not tender or gentle, that's harsh, that's aversive, that's a hindrance. So we need special help in cultivating these heart practices, these, this tenderness, this kindness. And the Buddha talks about this in, in many ways in the teachings. In one of my favorite passages or lines from one of the suttas, he says, abandoning the killing of all beings, gentle and kindly, he, Im he abides compassionately or caring for all beings, all living beings. We abide with compassion and kindness for all beings. Um, there's another sutta. That says when what is it what it says when the mind is purified of unwholesome states and the and the um, the hindrances are unwholesome states un, states of mind that are not beneficial when the mind is purified of these it abides with loving kindness with compassion with joy with equanimity above below around and everywhere. Above, below, around, and everywhere, the mind, the heart mind, abides with kindness, compassion, um, joy, and equanimity. So the Buddha points us in this direction, letting go of the unwholesome, unbeneficial states of mind and cultivating these practices that are kindness and compassion. You find kindness and equanimity in a whole bunch of the lists or in the, uh, the paramis, which are qualities that need to be developed in order to be enlightened. 
In order to wake up, we have to have loving kindness. We have to have mindfulness. We have to have equanimity. It's a prerequisite for um, liberation. In the teaching of wise intention, in the, four, in the Eightfold Path, the second factor is wise intention. And it talks about being infused with goodwill, being infused with goodwill for all beings. That's, I, it, it's laid out really in a lot of different places in the teachings that kindness, goodwill, is incredibly important. Letting go of those unwholesome states. So what I want to do is just touch on these four um, heart practices. And if you, if you don't know the book, Loving Kindness by Sharon Salzberg, this, she wrote the book on it to coin a phrase. But um, this is this is a really solid book on breaking down the heart practices, loving kindness, compassion, joy and um, equanimity. And so metta, loving kindness. Is unconditional. It's unconditional. We offer loving kindness to ourselves and all beings unconditionally. Um, which is, I think, one of the hardest things that we have to um, um, deal with sometimes, the idea that it's unconditional. You know, one of the things I, I want to say at the outset before I move into this is um, when these heart practices do not mean we condone um, uh, unskillful behavior. We don't condone greed. Um hatred, uh, we don't condone uh, people who cause harm. That's not what any of this means. It doesn't mean we become little doormats and roll over and play dead and say, oh, we're good Buddhists, we're full of compassion. That's, I think, what the Dalai Lama and Pema Chodron call idiot compassion, when it's not, there's no wisdom behind it. But what these teachings ask us to do is tend to our hearts when reality is here how do you hold reality wisely and kindly and then if there's action that needs to be taken you take the action but really what this is all about is tending to yourself and when you tend to yourself with this kindness and compassion there's actually more ability to hold the world because you don't need it to be a certain way. You don't need it to look like something that you want it to look like. You may have um, um, an aspiration for things and you might work towards ending injustice. You might work towards ending cruelty, ending, ending any of the plethora of bullshit that's going on in this world right now. There's enough shit to worry about and, and work towards having an impact on, but tending to yourself, I've experienced this tending to my heart actually gives me the resilience to move in that direction because I can hold the pain. I can hold the messiness of life better because I know how to tend to it. I know how to take care of it. It's like, it's like any athlete, they can, they can, 
run themselves or do whatever it is they do, but they have to nourish themselves as well. Otherwise, they don't they don't get to where they need to get to. So that's what these practices are. And um, so that that's a, a preface to it, that it's not rolling over and playing dead, but it's really tending towards ourselves, tending to ourselves so we can take care of um, what needs to be taken care of. So the, each of these these um, these heart um, Brahm, these divine abodes of the heart, the Brahma Viharas, have what are called a near enemy and a far enemy. And the near enemy of loving kindness is conditional love. Whereas n- loving kindness is unconditional. If we put conditions on it, I will love you if, our little quid pro quo for metta, then that's not really it. That's a near enemy of it. And then the far enemies, the far enemies are much more obvious. It's like anger and hatred. If we're filled with anger and hatred, that's aversion. That's not loving kindness. Um, compassion, this being touched by the, the suffering of others. The karuna is the word. It means quivering of the heart. The near enemy is, is pity, is, which is not compassion, which is being with. More and more of an empathetic place, but pity is 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 you're on a different level. Oh, you poor things! Or when we become overcome with grief, with other, from the grief of others, you know that's that place of um, it's almost a, we make it about ourselves rather than the suffering of others. So to hold their suffering, be touched by it, feel it but not be overwhelmed by it. And then the far enemy of that is cruelty. Again, it's obvious that it's not compassion when we're being cruel. This is this next one, this appreciative joy, being happy for the good fortune of others is really one of the most challenging ones I find because it means we're happy for the good fortune of others without it being about us without going where's mine which is so often the case it's like if you get yours then there's not going to be enough for me so and the the near enemy of that is hypocrisy you know in comparison so you know being oh i'm what comes to mind is that phrase oh bless your heart you know oh or oh aren't there's a there's a level of sarcasm with uh this near enemy of mudita. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Kind of a thing. And then the far enemy is jealousy and greed, obviously. And then equanimity is just this place of balance, this wisdom, this wise heart being able to hold whatever shows up in balance. Um, Sharon Salzberg talks about equanimity as the articulation of wisdom. We see clearly the nature of existence. We understand that things are impermanent. We understand the unsatisfactory nature of existence, that there is birth, there is, um, there is death, there is pain, there is loss. That's part of it. And we can hold it. We don't run away from it or make it different. And the near enemy of, of, of um, equanimity is indifference. It's that that sense of oh I'm not impacted I'm whole I'm so equanimous but really you've got a wall up and you just don't care because you're unable to feel or afraid of feeling. That's what spiritual bypass is about. 
it's this this false idea of of balance and equanimity but mean you're just using um spiritual terminology and practices to beat back your feelings and go up oh, impermanence oh, this instead of really getting into the 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 tear-filled snot-filled pain of what your experience is really be, being real with what's happening being vulnerable is um again Brene Brown calls it living wholeheartedly where we just show up with our full heart so these practices there are practices to cultivate each of these and again Sharon talks about this in her book where we find some phrases that are meaningful to us and when we sit in practice with them we repeat these phrases there are meditation practices in order to help us cultivate loving kindness and compassion and so I'm sure many of you are familiar with those practices they're not necessarily easy I went on a meta retreat a loving kindness retreat a few years ago it was so hard it was so hard I'd listen to a Dharma talk in the hall and I'd be just sitting there on my cushion and the inside of my head was just screaming, fuck you, what are you saying? Ah! It was my head was exploding internally because I was not used to being bringing that much kindness and compassion to bear on myself. It's for many of us, it's just like out there, out there, but it's so important. And I, I don't have a pro the good news is. For me, anyway, I don't have a problem doing it today. And I know a couple of you I've spoken with don't have that issue either. It was there, but it, it's, it's shifted through patience and effort and doing it. And beginning, not just doing it as an intellectual exer exercise, which is often how it starts. It starts up here, starts very dry or very difficult. And then there's the, the shifting where it moves down into uh, the body and we get a real felt sense of what it means to soften to ourselves when we're when we're faced with sadness what does it feel like to hold that I'm experiencing right now a lot of sadness just random moments of sadness when I, I was listening to another podcast this morning and they were talking about um, it's this podcast called code switch which is really excellent and they were talking about um, you know the predominance of 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 people of color who and African Americans who are impacted by the 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 virus because of these you know centuries of economic and of, of disparities in health and education and and um, housing and they were talking about the um, the one uh, there was a bus driver in Detroit who put it did a Facebook live thing I hadn't heard about this he did a Facebook live kind of a rant he was a bus driver and went on about this woman who was on his bus just sneezing and coughing without any covering and without going like this and he was so pissed off he goes I'm not mad at anybody except her and apparently he ended up dying of um, the virus and this welling up of of great sadness it it and and um there's a lot of sadness right now there's a lot of grief for loss of life for loss of our lives as we as we know it 
and we have to be able to or it would be helpful if we're able to feel it so as, as I was walking because I was listening when I was walking this morning I felt this sadness just well up and it's just if when you're tuned in you feel it and I know you've all had that experience where you, at least mine is where it just comes up from my belly and moves into my chest that's where my sadness is how it shows up but each of us are different when you can turn towards it and experience it physically because our emotions show up in our bodies and just soften I mean there can be a tendency to go into anger there can be a tendency to go into a story there can be a tendency to go into all these these narratives go into the future go into the past but what this practice asks us to do is be with the sadness be with the grief feel what does it feel like how can you hold it how do you hold that that's what we're asked to do And then you move and you walk a few more steps and, and, it, and it passes. And that's how this works. Our emotions come and they go. They arise and they pass. Sometimes they're hanging out for a really long time, sometimes just for a short amount of time. But when we're, when we're here, we're able to be with whatever happens. There's joy that comes up. You know, hanging out with my girlfriends this afternoon, watching that horrible movie. And then we got to hang out and, and just laugh about it. And there was great joy. Being with the joy that's there. We don't say no to any of our emotions. But it's not an easy place to get to. And that's why these, these practices are so helpful. And we, we talk about them over and over and over again because we ha I have to be reminded of them. And apparently I'm not the only one because I hear these talks from other teachers over and over again. And we do these practices, this loving kindness. And we in the traditional thing is we find the traditional phrases we, we say to ourselves over and over. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be at ease. But what I find really helpful is to find phrases that are meaningful to you that will have an impact in your life right now what do you need what will be beneficial for you um, when I was on that loving kindness that meta retreat they invited us to find our own phrases and I came up with some things that were really important that might that that I felt needed to be tended to that were that were um, it's when you listen to your when you listen to your heart when you listen to your body and it says this is what's necessary this is what I need so my phrases became may I be free from fear may may I feel supported may I feel safe and supported may I feel at peace so finding some phrases that are meaningful to you I've talked about Tonglen a few times over the last few weeks and Tonglen is a Tibetan practice where you breathe in whatever the discomfort is and you breathe out whatever the ease is. So breathing in insecurity and breathing out peace or ease or safety, you know, whatever makes sense. So just really bringing 
an intention and setting an intention to cultivate these qualities of the heart, this loving kindness. May I be at ease. May I be health, happy. Whatever is, whatever is appropriate, whatever makes sense for you. And you do that and you sit with that. Even if it, you only do it for a minute or two, which is, which is why Tong Len is so helpful because you can just do it for a couple of moments, breathing in whatever's present, breathing in the overwhelm, breathing out the ease, breathing out the, breathing in the fear, breathing out the calm. Just taking some time to settle and you build resilience. You build some, some stability. You build a foundation that can hold a little bit more. And the same is true for compassion. For compassion, you're willing to, um, may, may your suffering, you say some phrases like, may your suffering be, dec um, be decreased. Excuse me. May you be at ease. May your suffering ease. May your pain lessen. And you say it, we do it for ourselves as well. We do it for people we know are in pain, and we do it for ourselves. When those emotions um, come up, like when that sadness came up for me today, I didn't have to consciously say, oh, turn towards that with compassion. It was just this gentle holding, this softness. It was more of a felt experience of compassion than an intellectual movement towards. But that, again, comes with practice. Sometimes I have to drag myself back and go, Ugh, oh, yeah, kindness, softness. What does that feel like? You know, we do it however we need to do it. We show up however we need to show up. And we, and we, we do the same thing with joy when there's, I love the sun, the, it's cloudy again in LA. So there's been the beautiful, beautiful skies or when we have our little critters that are so cute and we get this sense of joy in our hearts to acknowledge it and be with the joy. It's really important to cultivate that as well. Cultivating the joy and not denying it when it's there is incredibly important really really important and then just that eventually it moves into this place of balance and I love the I love the the traditional phrases for equanimity practice your happiness when we offer it to others your happiness depends on your actions not on my wishes for you you know we can't fix anybody or anything we can offer support we can offer compassion we can offer kindness but we can't manipulate anybody into being happy it doesn't work if it worked I'm sure most people would be a lot happier than they are because I wish for them happiness and so on and so forth so um, so it's really what I want to say, bottom line, is find out where you are struggling, where you're stuck, whether you're caught up in, in um, anger, sadness, and what can you bring to that? What, you know, maybe bringing a practice, coming into a practice and holding that. Um, sensation if there's sadness there where is it in your body what does it feel like 
and then soften to it. Just begin to soften. And then find some phrases that might be helpful. May I not be so harsh towards myself. May May my words be kind. Something that, that is meaningful. So finding what is important for you. What's meaningful for you right now and tend to your heart that way. I think overriding is tenderness, is kindness, is softness. There's enough harshness. You don't need to bring that in. So um, those are those are kind of my thoughts on this, and I'd love if there's any questions. I kind of want to break you into groups, though, too, so you can have some opportunity to share. But if there's anybody who has a quick question. Hi, this is Jaya from Brooklyn. I have a question. Yeah, Jaya. Um, my question is about anger because I'm just curious about the take in the tradition you study and your take on anger because in a lot of spiritual communities, I've been told anger is wrong and you touched on anger, but I feel anger has been really positive for me to make certain decisions in my life, um, indicating what I'm not happy with and such. Um, And sometimes under my sadness is actually anger, especially like as a woman, Mm -hmm. um, my anger was often really judged. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Jaya. That's an important question. And um, so I appreciate you asking it. Anger is not wrong. Um, uh, ask me about the times I walk around my house screaming, fuck you, um, because those happen um, often. Uh, there's a lot of anger I've seen now. Um, I've talked about how it's a lot of this nonsense right now um, that's going on brings out the worst in my heart. I mentioned the other day. So to acknowledge that, why wouldn't that anger be there? And However, it's not necessarily a place that we want to reside. I think to acknowledge the anger when it's there is incredibly important to say, okay, here's anger. Um, what, what this teaching invites us to do is say, okay, this emotion is here, but not to put it on, not to say, I'm so angry, but to say, wow, there's this anger that's coming up because that what that does is it gives us a little bit of a separation so that we're not lost in the emotion but we have a a better relationship with it if that makes sense so there's this anger that's showing up Uh, a couple of years ago I just had anger that just moved into my chest and hung out there for about three months it was there every day I just listened a couple of weeks ago to the Catch and Kill podcast by Ronan Farrow. That moved some anger back into my chest as well. There's so there are times when anger shows up, and and uh, but you we don't want to stay there as a place to live. If it serves a purpose, that's awesome, and moves us to action or moves us, inspires us to take care of things that need to be taken care of or make shifts or changes. That's great. But it's an aversive quality, and it's 
you want to just really be aware of how much you're being driven by it and to have a come into, if you can, a wise relationship with it, if that makes sense. Um, it's not a place you want to hang out all the time. So hopefully that's helpful. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.